0: Hey, well, I thought I might start with the with joke, but I kind of already did that by coming up early. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as you can tell, I don't normally do this. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful, though, Andrew gave me the opportunity to do this to, um, yeah, kind of test my ministry gifts. Um, so a little plug for the REF internship, you get to do that in the REF internship. But uh, that does mean that you're my guinea pigs, so... Yeah, b- bear with me. Um, but uh, but yeah, welcome. If um, if you don't normally come to RUF, um, we're glad you're here, wherever you're coming from. Um, in regards to faith, and yeah, I'd love to meet you. And so, would, uh, Maddie, the other intern, and Andrew. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to open up God's word with you guys. So um, yeah, we're looking at Mark six, and uh, yeah, you may be wondering like why why are we looking at this passage um, and Because it is a bit random, just a random kind of gospel narrative. Um, but the reason is because, um, I really love Mark's gospel. I got to, um, I got to study it in a class at Georgia, uh, took a whole semester to study it, and it, I just gained a lot from just reading it over and over again. And, uh, and what, the thing that really stuck out to me is the dynamic between Jesus and the disciples in the gospel of Mark. So if you've read it, then you know it's a, it's a difficult dynamic. Um, there's a lot of tension between them. The disciples are kind of constantly messing up and failing, and uh, and Jesus is he's constantly being patient with them and forgiving them, being gracious to them. And I think the passage before us is one where we see that especially highlighted. So the hope is that by looking at it, um, we can learn from that dynamic, and um, yeah, hopefully be instructed by. what we see going on so um, before we do that i'm going to pray for us Um, heavenly father uh lord you are king and um, lord we come before you and we come before your word and lord we ask that you would um, just powerfully work lord we ask that you'd work in your spirit and our hearts Um, lord that we would sit back and worship you lord that your name would be hallowed um, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We pray that you would do that um, through this sermon, Lord. Um, we pray that you draw near to our hearts, God. That we would know you more deeply. That we would treasure you more, uh, Lord Jesus. That we would see you in this passage, um, and Lord, that we would, uh, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with love for you. And uh, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, to give you a, a feel for the the dynamic going on in the passage. I want to describe a scenario for you and I want you to put yourself in the scenario and ask yourself if the feeling rings true for you at all. So imagine that you have um, a day that's full of uh, multiple classes and you have a test in the afternoon. So you've prepared for the test, you feel... um, Yeah, I see you guys are like... (laughs) So you've you've prepared for the test, but inevitably you feel like oh, I, I could have done I could have done more. I could be more ready for this. So you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, I got to get studying. So you go to you go to commons and you sit down, you get your breakfast and you're like, okay, I'm going to eat and I'm going to study and you don't do either very well and you and you look down and you realize like, oh man, I'm going to be late for class. So you run to class, you get there a little late and you're kind of like trying to think through your test as you're in class, and then you leave class, and you're kind of squeezing in all the studying you can between classes, you study right through lunch, and you get to that afternoon test, and you take it, and you ace it. You're like, oh my gosh, that rocked. Like, you feel like you just did something like really significant. So you're walking back to your dorm, and you're kind of on a high from this test, but you're also really exhausted, and you're kind of running on fumes, you're also very hungry, you haven't really eaten all day, and you're thinking, I can't wait to just get back to my dorm, turn on the office, eat, eat that cookie dough I bought yesterday. Um, I can tell you, I that that exact feeling, I felt that a lot in college, except except it was Reese's Cups instead of cookie dough. Um, but, so, so you're like, man, I just can't wait to get back to my dorm. So you walk in the dorm and your roommate is sitting on the couch and they're crying and your heart sinks. And you're like, oh no, I feel bad for them, but like, I'm really tired. And your roommate tells, that, tells you that their boyfriend or girlfriend just broke up with them. And they ask if you can go on a walk with them and talk about it. So you say yes, because you obviously can't say no to that. And uh, <laughs> so you go with them, but, but the whole time you're kind of thinking like, oh man, I wish I could just be back in my dorm, watching the office. And you're kind of like half listening, you're, you're nodding, giving half-hearted advice, but your, your heart is somewhere else. So the reason I describe that scenario is because I think that that feeling is very much what the disciples felt. So I think the disciples felt like, you know, they had just come back from doing ministry. You know, that first verse there in verse 30, um, they come back and they tell Jesus all that they'd done. It was really successful. And so they're really, um, they're really excited, but they're also really tired. So Jesus tells them to go rest. But before they can rest, the crowds get there before them and they, they need them to keep caring for them. And the way that the disciples handle that and the way that Jesus handles it, both of them are tired. Both of them are inconvenienced by the crowds is fundamentally different. So the, the disciples do it out of obligation. Um, but Jesus does it out of compassion. Um So, the disciples' issue and our issue is a hardened heart, is that we have a selfish heart, and Jesus doesn't. Jesus has a selfless heart. So, another way you could say that is Jesus has a soft heart, and so what we're going to try to figure out is, what is this soft heart, and how can we get it? Um, in other words, just to use the words of the last verse here, we're going to try to understand about the loaves and not harden our hearts. So, there's three things... To look at concerning this soft heart. The first is, what is it? The second is, why is it so difficult for the disciples and us to possess it? And then lastly, how do we get it? So to begin with, what is this soft heart? And to see this, we're going to look at Jesus in the passage. So the goal is that by just looking at Jesus and the way that he acts throughout the passage, we can kind of get a feel for what a soft heart is and what it, what it actually does, what it looks like in action. So if you begin with me in verse 30, so the disciples, um, they return after doing ministry and they eagerly tell Jesus about all that they did. And Jesus responds with um, with compassion. You know, he tells the disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, um, which I can imagine would have just been so comforting for the disciples to hear. You know, Jesus isn't, he doesn't just see them as tools to accomplish ministry, but he really cares about them as people, and he wants them to rest. He cares about their bodily needs. Um, so we see that he cares for them, and then we'll continue to see that pattern throughout the passage. But then we see they set sail across the sea, and they, you know, the disciple, or the um, the crowd, sorry, they they almost look frantic, like they, you know, they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And, I mean, I can just imagine that sinking feeling like I described in the scenario I set up. Like, that had to be how the disciples felt. But it's amazing to see that that, that actually is not how Jesus felt. It says that the, the first thing he feels is compassion. You know, he's moved with compassion to care for them. Um, and this is his first instinct. So, so we see that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd um, in verse 34. So in what, in what way were they like sheep without a shepherd? Um, and we we can see this from the second half of the verse where it says he began to teach them many things. So they were like sheep without a shepherd because um, they had bad teachers. So we see this in the very next chapter. The ver- the next thing that happens after this, after Jesus cares for the, the crowds, is that Jesus kind of has a run-in with the teachers, and Jesus says that they've taken God's commandments, and they've twisted them, made them easier to follow, so that they serve themselves. Um so we see that and then we see later in Mark 12 um, that Jesus says, beware of these teachers. They walk around in long robes, they like greetings in the marketplaces and the places of honor at feasts, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves and they devour widows houses. So they don't really care about the people, like they are in this for themselves. Um, and then we, there's actually one more person who should have been caring for them and that's Herod. So in the passage right before this, it's just a horrible passage. We see that Herod, he, he's hosting this big extravagant party, and um, he's indulging himself. He has all kinds of people there, and you know he's kind of the center of attention. And he's pleased by the, the dancing of this young girl and says that she can have whatever she wants up to half of his kingdom. And she says that she wants John the Baptist dead, and so he obliges. So in the passage right before this, Herod had... John the Baptist, killed. Um, And that's the one that should have been caring for them. Like, that was their king. But here we see Jesus being a totally different kind of king. He is the king that's not at all inconvenienced by the people. He puts their needs before his own. I mean, Jesus, and nowhere in this passage is he resting or eating himself. Like, Jesus is just constantly just pouring himself out for others. Um, So the first thing to see about this, though, is how does he actually pour himself out for others and care for them and the first thing he does is he teaches them many things so this is this is really telling that jesus teaches them first and then he gives them the bread so jesus is showing that he primarily cares about our eternal spiritual needs even more than he cares about our temporary physical needs and we see this all throughout the gospel of mark we see in mark 1 very first thing jesus says He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Um, And then we see again in Mark 2, the story, famous story of the paralyzed man. They're in the, the crowded room and they lower, his friends lower this paralyzed man through the roof. And, you know, they're expecting Jesus to heal him, but he says, your sins are forgiven. And so everybody's like, why are you saying his sins are forgiven? Like he was paralyzed. And then, And then the, the scribes ask who he even is to forgive sins. And Jesus says, what's easier for me to forgive his sins or to tell him to take up his bed and walk? And Jesus says, it's, he essentially says, it's easier for me to heal his body, but for the sake of you, for your hard hearts, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go ahead and heal his body just so that you know I have the power to forgive his sins. Like Jesus, all the way through the Gospel of Mark is, he is, and through all the Gospels, he is focused on us knowing God, because our primary problem is that by nature we don't know Him. By nature we're alienated from Him, and Jesus wants, above all, to um, to save us from this. and In the words of um, John Piper, he says, uh, Jesus cares about all suffering, but He especially cares about eternal suffering. Um, so the application for us is that we too need to care primarily about our own um, eternal spiritual needs above our temporary physical ones and the same for our friends and the people in our lives like that needs to be the thing that's on our minds and on our, her- our hearts primarily um, but we also shouldn't neglect the temporary physical needs and we see jesus display this in verses 37 through 44 where he um, he provides them with bread so it says that um, it says that he sits them down And see this in verse 39, he sits them down in groups on the green grass. And so in this passage, we've had the reference to Jesus being the shepherd. Um, He says, you know, he wants to be the better shepherd. And now he sits them down in the green grass. And it, I mean, it's the same language of Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus is being the shepherd of Israel who cares for his people by providing for them. Um, And then, we also see Jesus caring um, for people and showing this soft heart of compassion by walking to the disciples on the sea. Um, he comes to them when the, you know, the, there's a bunch of wind and the sea is choppy and they can't get anywhere. He comes to them in the middle of the night and he calms the sea, gets in the boat with them and offers the words of assurance, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Um, so in all these different things with Jesus, we can see What a soft heart does. But lastly, I want want us to see what a soft heart actually is, and we see this in verse 46. Um, It just kind of Mark just kind of sneaks it in there, but I think it's such an important detail. It says that Jesus, after all of this, after doing, after serving all day, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So Jesus is the thing that gives him this soft heart of compassion is that he's dependent on God. God is the one that he goes to after a long day. Um, he doesn't unwind by venting about how annoying the crowds are, or by turning to entertainment and food, but he comes to God with all of his cares, and he actually needs this to keep going. Like Jesus is actually dependent on God. He's doing this all throughout the Gospels. He's he's coming to the, or he's going to God in prayer. And taking all of his desires to him. He's practicing what he actually calls us to in Matthew 6 6, when he says, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Um, And notice also that it says he does this immediately. So, right after he had done this miracle, you know, the people would have wanted to praise Jesus, to make much of him, you know. But instead of accepting their praise, he actually leaves and goes to God in prayer. He doesn't, he doesn't need their praise, like he wants the praise from God. So the application that it is for us is that if Jesus needs this time alone in prayer with God to keep trusting him and loving others, um, how much more do you and I need it? So I guess to, to sum all of that up, um, we see that from Jesus in the story that a soft heart is dependent on God and out of that dependence cares for others and our own, um, spiritual, eternal needs above our temporary needs. Um, if you're like me, though, this is very difficult, and uh, I don't really feel like Jesus in this passage very often, um, and, the, and the disciples don't either. So so this is our second point. We're going to look at why it is so difficult, and to do this, we're going to walk through the passage again, but this time we're going to look at the disciples and try to figure out why is it that it's so hard for the disciples to do this. So so back at the beginning, they come back. As I said earlier, they're really excited. So why are they so excited? And it's because they they had a ton of success. So in Mark 6, 12 to 13, it describes what they did. So this is where Jesus sends out the disciples. And it says that they went into all the villages and towns and they proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and they anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. So, I mean, it was like hugely successful. And we know that that the people... Um, really thought these, that the disciples were amazing because they're like racing after them, um, for them to keep caring for them. But what it looks like now when they come back to Jesus and the disciple, and the crowds want, you know, more ministry from them is different. Now they're not now they're not the ones that are caring for the people, but Jesus is. Now they have to sit down and listen to Jesus' teaching as he, um, explains about the kingdom of God and uh and we know that um we know that the disciples' hearts weren't really in the right place because we see it come out more and more throughout the gospel of mark so just a few instances mark 9:33 we see the disciples arguing about which of them is the greatest and jesus responds by telling them that if they really want to be the greatest they have to be last of all and the servant of all then in mark 10:13 children are coming to jesus and they rebuke the children um they don't think that the children are worthy of Jesus. But Jesus says no, the children are worthy of me. He says if you can't even receive the kingdom unless you become like a child. Um and then we see in Mark 10:35 to 45 probably the most um absurd ob- example is the James and John come to Jesus and you know they say Jesus give us give us whatever we ask. We want to, we want to sit one one at your right hand, one at your left hand in glory. Um and Jesus is essentially like I don't even know what to say to that. Like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And, uh, and Jesus responds by saying that, uh, if they really want to be the greatest, they have to be the, they have to be last of all. They have to be the servant of all. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's not surprising knowing throughout the rest of the Gospel of Mark where the disciples' hearts are at that the next time we hear from them is, when they say to Jesus, they say, um, in verse 35, they say, this is a desolate place. You know, just like Jesus promised earlier that they'd be able to go to a desolate place and rest for a while. They say, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away. Um, But Jesus keeps pressing them. He doesn't let them go away. So it's very interesting that Jesus actually kind of goes back on his word from earlier. He says, I'm going to send you away to a desolate place to rest a while. And now he keeps pressing them. He wants them to keep serving the people. Um, So, yeah, and we'll get to that later, why it is that he wants them to do that. Um, But then finally, we see um, the disciples' hardness of heart in verse 45, and this is where we really see it come out. Um, We see that, you know, after Jesus just did this amazing thing, multiplying all the loaves, they see someone coming to them in the middle of the night, and they don't—their first thought isn't, oh, Jesus is coming to save us, but it's, oh, this is a ghost. And it's clear that they weren't really trusting Jesus. They weren't really trusting that he was the one who cares for them and who would come to their aid. Um, In the words of William Lane, he says, the disciples' lack of understanding isn't an intellectual lacking, but an existential lacking. Um, So from this, we can see that the disciples' hardness of heart stems from not depending on Jesus to be for them who he shows himself to be, namely their king and their shepherd, Um, but instead relying on themselves and exalting themselves. Um, And this is you and I's problem as well. The reason we have a hard heart is because we rely on things other than Jesus for strength. Things like a good grade on a test, um, or our own self-exaltation, or entertainment, or food, or accolades. Um, so, So moving into our third point, how do we get a soft heart of dependence on Jesus? That leads us out into compassion for others. And there's two things we have to do. We have to see Jesus as the king and the shepherd, and we have to receive him as that, as actually our shepherd, our king. So first we have to see him um, as the king, as the shepherd who cares for his people. Um, and and the crazy thing is the disciples actually do this. The disciples actually do see who Jesus is showing himself to be very clearly. I mean, there is no way that they couldn't know that he was the one who multiplied the loaves and the fish. It's possible that the crowd actually wouldn't know because it doesn't really. Mark doesn't really say um, in kind of the classic understatement of the Bible, which is like just awesome. Um, the Mark doesn't really say how Jesus multiplied the loaves. It just says he took he took the five loaves and the two fish. And he fed five thousand people, and there were twelve baskets full of broken pieces. And so you're like, okay, I don't really know how that happened. Um, but the disciples know because they're the one who they're the ones who actually handed him the five loaves and the two fish. So they know that he's the one who multiplied that, and they pr- they probably saw it happen. Um, so they they see it clearly, but they don't actually receive him as the one who cares for them. They don't receive him as their shepherd, they think. Oh, maybe he's that. Maybe he's other people's shepherd, but he's not that for me. Um, and so, it's very similar to. Um, there's this. Uh, there's this kind of um, situation described by author Michael Williams, where he talks about um, a man who's an atheist. This really happened. There's this man who's an atheist who examined historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, and after examining it, he said that. Um, he really did believe Jesus was raised from the dead, but he remained an atheist. And when he was asked how you could say that you really did believe Jesus was raised from the dead um, and remain an atheist, he said, strange things happen in history. That was the exact quote. Strange things happen in history. And it's as if in the text before us, the disciples see Jesus do what no person can do, and they immediately afterwards say, that was strange. And they just kind of move on from it unchanged. They're like, okay, Jesus multiplied bread. We know that he's, you know, the son of God. Um, he's going to do those things. But I don't really think that has anything to do with like my day to day. And they just move on unchanged by it. Um, so their problem, and oftentimes our problem too, is that we doubt Jesus will really use that power for us, that he actually cares about us that way. Um, and I think a big part of their problem is I think they, they missed what Jesus was doing in making them continue to serve. You know, I've mentioned that a few times that Jesus, he kind of went back on his word and is making them continue to serve. Why is he doing that? And we see in verse 43 that there's 12 baskets of broken pieces left over. Um, And I don't think that's just um, random mathematics. I think there's, there's one basket for each disciple. Jesus is showing them that when they keep pouring themselves out and caring for others, he will always provide for them. He'll always be enough for them. Um, and I think they, they miss that. So the application is that we have to receive that leftover basket. Like we have to receive that care that Jesus shows to each of us individually and know that he doesn't miss us. Our, our cares aren't lost on him. He's not, Jesus is not like the disciples and like, like me and like you and me, you know, that he, he's not inconvenienced by people kind of constantly nagging him with cares but he's actually moved by compassion. Every time we come to him anew with new desires, new burdens, new frustrations, like he, he wants it. He's moved by compassion every single time. So um, to kind of uh, drive from this point, John Newton, the pastor who wrote the song Amazing Grace, um, he writes a letter to a friend, and in this letter he gets really honest, and he's confessing his tendency to doubt that God really cares for him, and that God will really make good on his promises and be gracious to him all the way through life and even through death and bring him safely home to heaven. Um, and he he compares this to if he was to doubt that his friend really cared about him. And so he says, you know, writing to this friend, he says, you know, you've had me over to your house so many times. Every time you welcome me kindly and you tell me that you want me to come back anytime. You tell me to write you anytime I want, and that you really care about me and love me. You're praying for me. Um, but he said, "What if he started to really doubt that, and he started to tell people about it?" And he said, "You know, I don't really think that that friend really cares for me. I, I think he actually doesn't really like me. I think he's just saying those things and doesn't mean it." He says, "Obviously, his friend would be really upset by that and frustrated." And he says. Newton says this, he says, Is not the Lord as worthy of being trusted as yourself? And are not his invitations and promises as hearty and honest as yours? Let us therefore beware of giving way to such thoughts of him as we could hardly forgive in our dearest friends if they had them of us. So the passage before us is an object lesson in the faithful, persistent, gracious love of Jesus. It's like Jesus is showing us, I I am your shepherd. I care for you. Like every one of you who puts your faith in me and trusts me, I will prove myself to be this over and over to you. And on our end, we just have to receive that. We just have to say, Jesus, I know that you promised to be this, and I know you will make good on your promise. Um, and this passage is its really just a forerunner to the, I mean, the even greater love of Jesus that I even referenced earlier when I quoted Mark 10.45, where Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is, he's doing this in this passage, and he's doing it all throughout the gospel. He is pouring out his life for others, he's caring for others, and then he does this, um, he does this at the cross too. He actually lays down his life to save us. Um, and the more that we um, the more that we receive the love of Jesus, the more that it actually transforms our hearts and makes us more compassionate toward others. Um, but this this requires continually coming to God and reminding ourselves from Scripture um, of the different places where we see Jesus' love and the different promises in Scripture that Jesus will continue to do this. We need to just work that into our hearts. Um, and the more that we do that, it really will make us more Um, more compassionate more loving people Um, so yeah let's pray that God would do that Um, Heavenly Father uh, I thank you so much for your love for us Lord Uh, Lord we pray that you would work um, your love into our hearts and that you would transform us uh, more and more into the image of your son that we see in this passage Lord Lord that you would uh, make us people who are dependent on you and on your care for us. And that, uh, Lord, we would then show that care toward others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.